0: Awesome, thank you. Good morning, church. Welcome to church. Shannon was obviously desperate. If I was you, I would have gone out with the kids and watched a movie. Hey, you'd be pleased to know that I haven't got a G-string, so it's not going to break. And if if you need uh, healing from those uh, memories that they're created... Love to pray for you later. <laughs> hey, thank you to uh, Jeremy and uh, Dave who both shared what they shared. It actually really ties in with all I'm going to share. Uh, I've entitled my message this morning "The Power of the Gospel." If you've got your Bibles, uh, if you want to uh, open up to Romans chapter one, and we're going to read from verse sixteen, and might as well keep your finger there because we're going to keep going back to Romans one. It says this: Romans one sixteen. It says, "For I am not ashamed." Of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I read it again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Shannon uh, said last week that he felt his message was a bit like a cat among the pigeons, and as I was thinking about what I was going to share today, it's kind of almost a little bit like that, but it actually gives me a really good excuse to tell you a cat story. <laughs> there was this particular family who, um, who got a little kitten in, and it was a day like yesterday. It was a beautiful Saturday. They were outside. Um, Children were playing with the kitten outside, and in their garden they had this very tall tree that was really spindly, but when it went way up high, the tree forked into two branches and had a really, really sharp fork. So the kids thought it would be a good idea to teach the kitten how to climb a tree, and put the kitten in the tree. The kitten climbed up the tree, and then it got stuck in this very sharp fork, and they couldn't get it down. So they thought, I know what we'll do. We'll ask our dad, who happened to be a pastor, (laughs) who was very innovative and had lots of good ideas. So he came out and he assessed the situation. He looked at it. He completed a health and safety report. And he came up with a plan and he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll tie a rope around the top of the tree. I'll hook it onto my car and I'll pull the tree so that it bends over So it's low enough so I can climb the ladder and get the kitten out. So he decided to do that. He got the rope. He managed to lasso it around the top of the tree. And he pulled it out, and he hooked it onto the tow bar of his car. And as he sat in his car, he inched forward slowly, slowly, slowly. He was watching in the rear view mirror, and the tree was starting to bend over. And he thought, just a little bit further, and I'll get the tree low enough so I can climb the ladder and get the kitten out. As he was pulling the handbrake on in his car, he heard a bang. The rope snapped, and as he looked in the rearview mirror, the tree went back like this. And as he watched in the mirror, the kittens went in that direction. And that's the end of the story. A couple of weeks later, because he was a pastor, he was visiting one of his parishioners. He knocked at the door. The lady came to the door and opened the door and invited him in. And as he walked down the hallway to the lounge, he saw his kitten in their hallway. He thought to himself, I better not accuse her. And he said, that is a very nice kitten that you have. How long have you had it? And she said, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Two weeks ago... On Saturday, I was out in the garden. And little Johnny came to me and he said, Mummy, Mummy, please, can we have a kitten? And the mother said, No, Johnny, we've discussed this many times before. We are not having a cat. But Johnny didn't hear any of that and said, Mummy, please, please, can we have a kitten? And then she had an idea. She said, All right, Johnny, we're going to kneel down in the garden and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask Jesus for a kitten, and if Jesus gives you a kitten, you can have it. And pastor, you wouldn't believe what happened next. Actually, that story's got nothing to do with what I was going to talk about this morning. During the middle of um, last year, which actually seems a long time ago, we had the privilege of going to the UK. And um, as as part of that trip, I had the enormous privilege of of serving at a thing called Soul Survivor, which is like uh, this organization runs four massive youth camps, one in Scotland and three in England. And uh, they call it Scotland, then A, B, and C in England. And I had the privilege of going to Soul Survivor B and Soul Survivor C. Soul Survivor B had 10,000 young people. Soul Survivor C had 8,000 young people. If you've ever been to Easter camp... It's kind of like that, but on super steroids. Absolutely amazing. In Soul Survivor C, um, one of my jobs was on the gate on the first day, checking and making sure people who weren't supposed to come in uh, didn't come in, and those who were supposed to come in, come in. We had a bit of a hold up on the gate, and I got talking to this, this young guy who was a youth pastor at a church in South London. And, um, he was just telling me that earlier that year, he really felt that God started speaking to him about getting involved in their community. They were part of a mainline church, and they were part of this uh, suburb that, was, that, was, that wasn't a low, low, church. it was okay, but it actually bordered a housing estate just across the road from where their church was. And he really felt that God was, was talking to him about building relationships with the people in this housing estate. He talked to the members of his youth group about the fact that youth group wasn't just for them, that youth group actually existed for the lost, the ones who didn't know Jesus yet. And, and he kept talking about that and talking about that, and and how can we practically outwork that? And someone suggested, why don't we see if we can sponsor some kids from the... um." housing estate to come to Soul Survivor B, which they'd done year after year as a youth group, you know, like many youth groups in New Zealand go to Easter camp. And so they decided that was a good idea, and they worked hard to get sponsorship and transport and, and leaders and so on and so forth. And as it was coming up to the time, he talked to people on the housing estate, and he managed to get 52 young people from this housing estate to come to Soul Survivor. He, this youth leader said that was like getting the, they had to sign parent, parental consent forms and he said, like you go into these flats and get the parents to sign them and some of them were high on drugs, you could smell the cannabis, the stuff like that and they were like, oh who cares, it gets them out of my hair, you know for a week you know you got them on the bus, they went to Soul Survivor and the whole 52, while that was soul survivor, each one of those young people made a commitment to Christ. Wow! This youth leader had come back to serve at Soul Survivor C for the next week. Wow! He was talking about his thought process around that, and at first it was just wow, that is amazing. And then he started to think about. Now we've got them. We need to disciple them. We need to work with them to become followers of Jesus. See, Romans 16, 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Wow. Let me tell you another story young man's name is Ricky, it's not his real name, but I, I use another name just to protect the whole privacy thing around the family. started a number of years ago. There was a group of youth leaders having a, an outdoor uh, concert event at a particular place. And at the end of the concert, when they were cleaning up, this young guy was just hanging around and, and two of the youth leaders got talking to him and said, actually, we're having a youth camp next week, would you like to come? He said, oh... No, because I haven't got any money. They said, look, you don't need to worry about that. You just come. This is what you need to, to, um, to bring. And so he came to the, to the youth camp, and, and the, this group of leaders were running a, a youth group that happened every week, and they'd pick him up and take him to this youth group, and this happened year in and a year out for a number of years. As the years went past, he grew older, and he left school, and he started to, to work at his first job And coincidentally, or actually probably by God's plan, there happened to be a Christian who worked at that workplace who started developing a friendship with this young man. And in fact, his whole family did, and he was around for meals and stuff like that. And he became a friend of the family. It's somewhere during his journey, I'm not sure where, this young man made a commitment to follow Christ. He eventually uh, left town and moved to another town he eventually met a, a Christian young lady who he fell in love with and married, and eventually they had two children. So fast forward about 16 years. Uh, this is a couple of years ago. I was at a camp in the Sounds. I was sitting on the, the wharf this day, and I started just talking to this young man about what he wanted to do when he left school and so on and so forth, and, and uh, he's just started telling me more and more And um, I was probably a bit thick on it, and then suddenly the dots started to join up. And I said to him, what's your dad's name? And he told me, and I went, whoa, his dad was this young man that had started going to this youth group years and years and years ago. Now the thing is that I need to tell you about this family, that if you were in the police or you were a social worker, you would know this family because they would have had lots of interaction with you. Alcohol was a huge factor in the family. You know, life wasn't good. And here I am in the wharf and the sounds, sitting talking to this young man, because of his father's decision to follow Christ, had totally changed his destiny. I mean, he could have been a, a third or a fourth generation. You know, a young person who had no hope, who had no future, whose only thing was to go on the dole, to get a benefit, to drink alcohol, to use drugs, to have no hope in life, but suddenly because of a decision that his father made, the whole destiny of this family changed. That's the power of the gospel. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. See, the thing is, in that picture, that story, you know, we often think about someone coming to Christ, and that's great, and, and Scripture tells us that heaven celebrates it, but the thing that we probably don't think of, it actually changes the future generations, It breaks off the old, it breaks off alcohol, it breaks off drugs, it breaks off all the stuff. They get a fresh, brand new start. They can change their destiny. Why? Because of Jesus. So that's the gospel. See, the one commonality in both stories, the second two, not the cat one, is the power of the gospel to change lives. So what is the gospel? The gospel means good news. When Christians talk about the gospel, they simply mean telling the good news about Jesus. You see, the gospel is the most basic foundational message of the New Testament, yet, often it is the most misunderstood. The whole book of Romans was written to explain the gospel so everyone could understand it. Paul, the writer, made it so simple that you almost have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And unfortunately, as the church, not this church, but the church in general, we've had lots of help with that. See, Paul starts off with this statement in Romans 1.16, "'For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek.'" This is a radical statement. This word gospel in the the original Greek is a word that was seldom used at the time it was written. Nobody talked about it this way because the word literally meant nearly too good to be true news. It referred to news that was so awesome that nothing really justified using it. Nothing was nearly too good to be true. Do you know the message of the gospel is so good to be true? The fact that we can come to Jesus with messed up lives full of sin, that we can get totally forgiven, that we can get a brand new start, his precious blood washes all our sins away, and we can begin life again, no matter how much we have messed up. That is the good news of the gospel, and it is good news, isn't it? Here's some more. Romans five: six to eight says, "When we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners." Now, most people would not be willing to die sorry, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone perhaps might be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love to us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19 says this, when someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And all these things are from God, who has brought us back to himself through what Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come to his favor and be reconciled to him. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message that he has given us to tell others. That is the gospel. Greg Laurie says this, there is no more important message that the church has to offer the culture than the gospel. See, I reckon church is really simple. It's about two things. It's about winning the lost and discipling the found. There's a whole lot more things you can get involved in, but that's the basics. That's what we need to be doing. Here's the gospel another way, Isaiah 61. See, the whole of Scripture is focusing in on one thing, is focusing on Jesus, the fact that he came, he died for us, he rose again so we could be free from sin and have new life. Back in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, To announce liberty to the captives, to open the doors, sorry, open the eyes of the blind, he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor has come, the day of wrath to his enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness, for God has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his glory. That is the gospel. And actually, I think it's way wider than we think. You know, sometimes peop, you know, sometimes people talk about somebody presenting a gospel message, which is basically Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. And if you'd like to come to know him, you can. You know, and if there's anyone who wants to do that, put up your hand or come to the front or whatever. That is a gospel message. That is true. But it is way wider than that. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing used to be an organization around years ago called Full Gospel Businessmen, and and they focused on the power of the Holy Spirit and stuff like that, and that's all true. But actually, I reckon it is way wider than that. See, back in the day, you know, when the Welsh Revival happened and the offshoots of that, it caused people um, to do something about slavery and abolish slavery. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. So let's head back to Romans 1. Romans 1:1: 1, 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He was a bond servant. Now servants would get purchased probably at a slave market. Sometimes it'd be quite handy to have servants or slaves, wouldn't they? <laughs> to do stuff you? No, let's not go there because the gospel's against it, isn't it? <laughs> but they would pay the money, and they'd get this slave or get their servant, and it would last for a period of time. And at the end of the period of time, they were free to go. But actually, a bondservant is somebody who actually, I quite like it here. The master treats me well. In the Old Testament, (coughs) they'll get an awl or like a sharp screwdriver and get the doorpost and poke it, it sounds painful, against the doorpost of their house, and they would become a bondservant. They were there for life. Paul says this, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. See, servants could go when their time was over. A bond servant chose to stay. Paul chose to stay and serve Jesus. And it says this, Paul called and as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. <coughs> See, Paul wasn't just some sort of Sunday Christian who turned up every week on Sunday. It says here, set apart for the gospel. He devoted his whole life to this thing, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. See, lots of young people are looking for a cause to give their life to. Do you know the best cause that you could ever give your life to is the gospel? Shannon talked last week about the pearl of great price. The man sold everything to get it. I wonder if the pearl is the gospel. You know, didn't Paul say owning nothing yet owning everything? Matthew 10, 39 says this, For those who try to gain their own life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake We'll find it. Who thinks life sucks sometimes and you go through all sorts of trials and problems? Anyone feel like that? Okay, one or two people. Let me read you, the, let me read you this. This is encouraging. 2 Corinthians 11.24 says this. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by the Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the open sea for a night and day. In a hard tra- it's hard traveling year in and year out. I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, Risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storms, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. <clears throat> I've known drudgery and hard labour, and many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's not half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and the anxieties of all the churches, when someone, gets, when someone gets the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. <coughs> Excuse me. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. Why? Because Paul was totally committed to sharing the gospel with as many people as possible. If we're really honest... If it was you or me, and probably me, just maybe just one of those things, I'd be thinking, "Um, maybe not. Maybe God's not calling me to this particular thing. But Paul kept going because he had an end in sight. Thank you, sir. Paul kept going because he had the end in sight. He had committed his life to the gospel. Here's the second thing the gospel of God. The gospel belongs to God. It belongs to him. He thought it up. He invented it. It says this in Romans 1-2, which he promised, talking about the gospel beforehand, through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, We've just had Christmas and we've looked at all those prophecies in the Old Testament that foretell the coming of Jesus. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among the. Whom you are also called of Christ, like Dave's word about the the doors. We are all called, it's not just for special people. Every Christian is called to do something. And if we jump down to verse 14, it says, I am under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. See, Paul had this driving force within him, the urge to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to be sure that we're presenting the gospel, God's gospel. Paul warns us in Galatians, 1 8 and 9, it says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. 2020, we have the gospel of me. It's all about me, isn't it? You know, we make the gospel to suit us. Actually, it's all about Him. It's all about serving Him. We have the prosperity gospel, and we're not going to go there this morning. See, we need to be asking the question, does it align with Scripture? Does it align with Scripture? You see, I reckon when we have a heart for the lost, the least, and the last, we align with God's heart. That's what he wants. After all, it says in Scripture that God desires none to perish but all to come to salvation. That is his heart. Here's the last one. The gospel is powerful. You know, we almost might know this by heart by the end of the morning, and that'll be good. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. <clears throat> it's interesting. One day I was I was having a conversation with somebody I worked with about a mutual friend that we both know. This particular person used to play sport with this guy years and years ago. Uh, he was using alcohol, he was using drugs. Life wasn't going that well for this person. And then something happened. He had an encounter with Jesus. His life changed because the power of the gospel. This person who's a non-Christian said to me, he said, this person changed completely. And he wasn't mocking it. He actually respected what had happened. You see, we all know Christian organizations, and I won't name any, but they started out as, as Christian organizations, maybe as part of churches, you know, and they get involved in all sorts of social actions, and often these organizations, the thing they're involved in is not a bad thing. They do really good stuff, but here's the problem. They miss one thing. They've gone away from the thing that has the power to change people's lives. What is it? The power of the gospel. I mean, social action is great. It's good to do things. But if we miss the one thing, we actually miss the the one thing that can actually affect permanent change the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who's the only person who's able to change people's lives. See, it's, it's, it's like this. You know, the person who's maybe caught in unemployment or maybe they've got a, just a basic job and stuff like that, you know, and Thursday's party night because tomorrow's Friday it's the last day of the week and Friday's party night and Saturday's party night and Sunday's party all day. And then they're a bit hungover and they can't go to work. And they turn up on Tuesday and they do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they can't go Friday, you know, because they're a bit hungover or whatever. And then somewhere in the middle of that story, you know, they can't pay their rent, they can't feed their kids and stuff like that. But somewhere in the middle of that story, that person has an encounter with Jesus and their life changes And suddenly all the party stuff stopped because they don't want to drink anymore. They want to go to church on Sunday. They want to worship Jesus. And it means they've now got some money and they pay their rent and they feed their kids and they start turning up on Monday through to Friday. And when they turn up and when they say they'll do something, they do it. And the employer starts to recognize that. And then, then, you know, somebody leaves or something happens and there's an opportunity for a promotion and the employer... promotes this person and they get some more money and and then they start giving to others and, and things happen. That is the power of the gospel. It changes people's lives. I'm just about done, but I've got three questions that I want to ask you. Here's question number one. Do you know this Jesus who has the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you know the most important decision that you could ever, ever make in your life is what are you going to do about Jesus? It doesn't, it doesn't only affect your life here and now, but it affects your life for eternity. Can I strongly suggest and strongly encourage the best decision that you can ever make is decision to follow Jesus. And I know there's lots of Christians in this place who would love to sit down and share with you and talk you through and answer your questions about how you could have a personal relationship with Jesus. 2020 would be a great time to do that right at the beginning of the year. Here's the second questions. Second question. If you are already a Christian, Paul uses his phrase, set apart for the gospel of God. How high on your priority list is the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Is it something that just gets relocated, you know, to a Sunday because that's what we do? Or is it something that you're constantly thinking about? How could I talk to this person? Here's the last question. Here's this Romans 1.16, you should know that by heart by now, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The last thing that I thought I should do, I want to encourage those who maybe are praying for someone to get saved. You prayed for a while, don't give up. It says here that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes, often we don't see what's happening behind the, the circumstances. You know, somebody, we've had it happen, somebody turns up to a connect group or church or whatever, and you think, you're thinking to, ter- I mean, you probably don't, but I do. Think, what the, you know, why would they be here? But actually, when you talk to them, God started a journey. Started a journey. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that that somebody heard the call to bring it to our nation. Lord, thank you that we have heard it over and over again. Lord, thank you that, that we have come to know you. We have come to know your forgiveness. We've come to know your freedom. We've come to know your liberation. And Lord, we thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that we won't be people who are just content to know it for ourselves that, Lord, you would ignite a passion in our heart. Lord, for some the first time and for others who've had it burning before, you'd reignite it, a passion to see the lost one for you. Lord, to see people who don't know you come to know you. Lord, and then go on the journey with them as they discover what it is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for this church. For this year, Lord, as we start out at the beginning of the year, <clears throat> Lord, as we take up the challenge, Lord, we would love to see it week after week after week of hearing stories of people who've come to know you. Lord, we're up for the mess. We're up for the chaos that could that could bring. Lord, thank you for the story that I told at the beginning of those 52 young people from that housing estate came to this camp because somebody dared to believe, dared to hope, dared to ask them, dared to raise the finance, dared to make it happen. Your sovereign grace reached out to them and they came to know you. Lord, we, we don't want it just to be stories that we heard hear about from other countries, but Lord, let there be stories that happen in our community with people that we know that we can rejoice with. Lord, I pray that that baptism tank across the way there might be in continual use because people have found you and they say, I need to get baptized because I want to follow Jesus with all of my heart. Lord, we ask it because we know we are asking according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.